reached our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, joined today by my co-host, Sean Diller. Sean, you ready to start this show? Uh, almost. I usually do a joke right here, but I would rather this week just take a moment to reflect on the sacrifice of the American service members killed at the Kabul International Airport. Uh, we have talked about the withdrawal extensively on our podcast and the uh, the folks left behind and betrayal and compared our evacuation effort unfavorably to Vietnam. And, you know, since then, the U.S. has evacuated about 90,000 or more people U.S. and Afghan allies and, uh, you know, the Marines who died were in service of that important mission. So just want to, <laughs> I'm just glad it wasn't me. But yeah, yeah. I know that, uh, oh, you know, uh, just really respect that sacrifice. Absolutely. All right, folks, let's start the show. White House says Schmidt puts Missouri kids at risk. President Joe Biden finds Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt's lawsuit seeking to block school mask mandates unacceptable, according to the White House on Tuesday. We've seen, including recently in Missouri, additional steps taken that, in our view, put more kids at risk. The president thinks that's completely unacceptable, said White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki during a briefing. Psaki's comments came hours after Schmidt, a Republican running for United States Senate, filed a class action lawsuit in Missouri's Boone County Circuit Court in an attempt to stop school districts from enforcing mask mandates. The suit specifically targets Columbia Public Schools, but seeks to compel dozens of districts, including Kansas City, to drop rules requiring students and teachers to mask up. Several private schools, including three Catholic schools in St. Charles County, have also adopted mask mandates recently. Schmidt's lawsuit alleges school mask mandates are arbitrary and capricious, but the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention both recommend students wear masks in class. Yeah, you have that line in there where you mentioned that he's a Republican running for U.S. Senate. And I think that's the key factor people need to realize when we're talking about Eric Schmidt. These lawsuits of his, uh, whether it's a lawsuit against China and now a lawsuit about a mask mandate, I mean, these are just ways for him to make noise, ways for him to get 15 minutes of fame. He doesn't care at the end of the day whether he wins or loses these cases. It's for him, it's just he wants to get his name out there. And, you know, it, it wastes taxpayer money. And say he wins on this, I mean, it's dangerous for kids. Yeah, this isn't the worst thing about it, but. You know, it is intellectually inconsistent. <laughs> local control is what we should have. If I'm a conservative, I believe in local control. And the Missouri attorney general suing a local public school to force them to adopt his politically motivated policy is just, you know, I'll call that arbitrary and capricious. Ruling could come soon after final arguments in lawsuit challenging Missouri CAFO law. On Friday, attorneys for Cooper County argued that House Bill 271, passed this year to restrict local government's ability to issue public health orders, was unconstitutional. The bill, signed by Governor Mike Parson, has aimed at tamping down on counties that try to regulate concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs. Stephen Jeffrey, who represents Cooper County in a lawsuit against the state, urged Cole County Circuit Judge Daniel Green to strike down the new law, arguing it violated the Missouri Constitution's requirement that legislation stick to a single subject. Justin Smith, the Missouri Attorney General's office, argued Friday that the hodgepodge of amendments in the bill 
related to school districts, police boards, county courts, and sewer districts was appropriate. Now, CAFOs cram thousands of animals, typically hogs, into confined barns and often collect manure underground before pumping it offsite to be used as fertilizer. Critics contend they present a risk to the groundwater when manure makes its way offsite. One CAFO earlier this year spilled more than 350,000 gallons of hog manure and wastewater contaminating water along several miles of stream. Cooper County officials adopted a rule prohibiting construction of underground manure pits on CAFO sites because soil in parts of the county is susceptible to shrinking and swelling, raising the risks of cracks and leaks from those pits. The county in 2019 sent a letter to the owners of the Tipton East CAFO, which had been issued a state permit the year before, spelling out the rule. Days later, Senate Bill 391 went into effect. State argues both 2019 Senate Bill 391 and 2021's House Bill 271 bar Cooper County from imposing that restriction. Chicago cops must get shots. This week, Mayor Lori Lightfoot forged ahead with an October 15th vaccine mandate for all City of Chicago employees over strenuous and united opposition from all four police unions. As cases continue to rise, we must take every step necessary and at our disposal to keep everyone in our city safe and healthy, Lightfoot said. Getting vaccinated has been proven to be the best way to achieve that and make it possible to recover from this devastating pandemic. And so we have decided to join other municipalities and government agencies across the nation, including the U.S. military, who are making this decision to protect the people keeping our cities and counties moving. The press release doesn't say what happens to city employees who refuse to comply, just that the new policy applies to all city employees and volunteers and takes effect October 15th. Employees can apply for medical or religious exemptions, and those requests would be reviewed by the city's Department of Human Resources on a case-by-case basis. Fraternal Order of Police President John Catanzara lost his mind in a profanity-laced tirade. Quote, this has literally lit a bomb underneath the membership. And what are they going to do when four or 5,000 coppers say, screw you, I'm staying home. You're not making me get this fucking vaccination. Don't pay me. That's fine. We'll see you in court. We're in America, goddammit. <laughs> we don't want to be forced to do anything, period. This ain't Nazi fucking Germany where they say, trigger warning, <laughs> Step into the fucking showers. The pills won't hurt you. What the fuck? Nobody knows what the long-term side effects could possibly be. Nobody. And anybody who says they do are full of shit. End quote. Catanzar's analogy was condemned by the Anti-Defamation League. The comparison of mandatory vaccinations to Nazi Germany and the Holocaust is factually incorrect and deeply offensive to the millions of innocent people killed at the hands of the Nazis. Speaking after a mental health roundtable on Wednesday... Lori Lightfoot stood by her decision to require police officers to be vaccinated, noting that the leading killer of police officers right now is the virus. The mayor further insisted city workers who interact closely with the public, like police officers, are acting irresponsibly and putting those they serve in danger if they refuse to be vaccinated. Coming to work, particularly in a job where you've got to interface with the public on a regular basis and you're not vaccinated, not only are you putting yourself at risk, you're putting every single person that you come into contact with at risk. So don't listen to chodes like Catanzara at the police union about your health decisions. I mean, to quote Fraternal Order of Police President John Catanzara, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Indeed. This guy. 
the ADL put it best as they as they often do. But yeah, the uh, systematic extermination of millions by the Nazis is not the same as vaccinating people to keep them alive. Well, throughout life, we've had vaccination cards for schools and stuff like that to go to college. I mean, I'm sure you probably had to have your vaccinations up to code before you went into like the police academy. I mean, people right. take a step back. This is this is not what you think it is. My goodness. Yeah, he says we're in America, goddammit. <laughs> we don't want to be forced to do anything. Period. What a baby. Like that it is just, the most yeah, that's childish just, thing you I don't want to be forced to do anything. Right. He's a damn toddler. <laughs> Toddlers also hate shots, by the way. About 89% of rental assistance funds have not been distributed, figures show. The $46.5 billion rental aid program created to pay rent accrued during the pandemic continues to disperse money at a very slow pace as the White House braces for a Supreme Court order that could strike down a new national moratorium on evictions. The emergency rental assistance program funded in the two federal pandemic relief packages passed over the last year sputtered along in July with only $1.7 billion being distributed by state and local government. The money was a modest increase from the prior month, bringing the total aid to to about 5.1 billion. That cash was slated to be spent over three years, but White House officials who have spent months pressuring local officials and tweaking the program to make access easier had hoped states would have spent much more by now. Gene Sperling, who oversees the operation of federal pandemic relief programs for President Biden, says about a million payments have now gone out to pay back rent for family. It's starting to help a meaningful number. It's just not close enough in an emergency like this to protect all families who need and deserve to be protected. So there's still a way to do more and do it fast. Data released by the Census Bureau on Wednesday illustrated the magnitude of eviction risk. An estimated 1.2 million households are very likely to face eviction for non-payment of rent over the next two months. Of the roughly 2.8 million households that have applied for aid, only about 500,000 reported receiving assistance. Another 1.5 million are waiting for approvals, while nearly 700,000 have been rejected, according to the estimates. And those are just the tenants who have tried to get access to the program. Over 60% of vulnerable renters have not even applied. You got to get that money out. It doesn't help people stay in their house if these moratoriums end and folks have a ton of back rent and they can't pay it. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we're part of a larger family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week, where host Adam Summer interviews folks of interest from around the Midwest. On any given week, he could be chatting up a politician, a farmer, a scientist, you name it. Included in that show is the Talking Politics section, where our panel of experts dig deep into the nuts and bolts of what you're hearing out there. On Wednesdays, you could get one or even two shows between the Marquise Govan Show, focusing namely on politics in the St. Louis area, and The Delta, a show dedicated to clearing up some of the science being muddied in the news. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. Congresswoman Sharice David stands up for the working poor. On Wednesday, United States Representative Sharice Davids of Kansas called on Democratic House and Senate leaders to use the upcoming budget reconciliation bill to provide more health care coverage in states that have not expanded Medicaid. We have lost far too many loved ones before their time this year, David said in a letter to leaders. It is urgent that we use every tool at our disposal to ensure that all Americans can access affordable health care regardless of where they live. 
Kansas is one of only 12 states that has not expanded Medicaid, the health insurance program for low-income Americans that's administered by states and subsidized by the federal government. Kansas lawmakers have battled for years over a provision in the Affordable Care Act that would extend coverage to those with household incomes below 138% of the federal poverty level, which is $26,500 for a family of four. While Missouri passed a ballot initiative to expand Medicaid last year, several legislative attempts in Kansas have failed despite a concerted effort by Democratic Governor Laura Kelly and moderate Republicans. Instead of relying on the Kansas State Legislature, Davids has signed on to an idea for a Medicaid lookalike program the federal government would operate providing the same services for states that haven't expanded coverage. David's request lines up with the plans of House Budget Chairman John Yarmuth, Democrat of Kentucky. In a document laying out his goals for the budget reconciliation bill, Yarmuth said he would like to include an affordable coverage option for the more than 2 million Americans living in states that have not expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act and do not earn enough to qualify for marketplace subsidies. But the provision will have to make it through what will likely be a tough negotiation process. The bill, which is still being drafted, is expected to contain a plethora of items from the wish list of Democrats, from creating a civilian climate corps to a paid family and medical leave program. Opponents of the Medicaid expansion have said the program would cost too much money for states in the long run, while supporters point to the fact that it would allow 100,000 currently uninsured Kansans to qualify for health insurance. A bidding war for traveling nurses amid staff shortages. Demand for nurses has skyrocketed as COVID-19 case surge spawned by the Delta variant is crushing hospitals across the United States. And hospitals in Missouri and Kansas are angling to hire traveling nurses as the number of nurses may determine how many patients can be treated at a given time. The demand has driven up the cost of hiring way up. Some traveling nurse jobs advertise pay of $5,600 a week. Some nurses have heard they can make up to $10,000 or more. The intense competition for a limited pool of workers has led Kansas Governor Laura Kelly to publicly fret that the facilities will be outbid. Missouri Governor Mike Parson has promised to provide hospitals with millions in financial aid, but it's unclear how much of a difference that will make. Nurses are already in short supply. Reports abound of nurses quitting in the wake of burnout and in some cases threats or demands for unproven treatments. Heidi Lucas, director of the Missouri Nurses Association, says we're almost at a tipping point. We've already had a nursing shortage, and it's getting way worse. And I don't think we've seen anything yet. The harassment, the disbelief, the not doing what's in the best interest of the community by getting the vaccine is causing our nurses to rethink their profession. Illinois governor orders statewide indoor mask mandate. Governor Pritzker says face facts. Indoor mask mandate is back because of those who refuse to get vaccinated. Starting Monday, Illinois will join several other states that have reinstated indoor mask requirements for everyone to and up, regardless of vaccination status. In addition, vaccines will be required for all teachers in preschool through 12th grade, all higher education personnel and students, as well as healthcare workers in a variety of settings such as hospitals, nursing homes, urgent care facilities, and physician's offices. Starting September 5th, those who are unwilling to receive their first dose of the vaccine will be required to be tested for the virus at least once a week. Governor Pritzker laid out some grim statistics that led to the decision. From January through July of this year, 98% of the state's COVID-19 cases, as well as 96% of the hospitalizations, and 95% of COVID deaths have been among the unvaccinated. Unfortunately, our current vaccination levels are not enough to blunt the ferocity of the Delta variant, 
and the hospitalization surges we're seeing in some regions. Hospital administrators are asking for more help to manage the sheer number of incoming patients who, I'll emphasize again, are almost exclusively individuals who have chosen not to get the life-saving vaccine. In a joint statement, Dan Montgomery, the president of the Illinois Federation of Teachers, and Kathy Griffin, the head of the Illinois Education Association, pointed to surging case numbers and more children now getting sick as reasons for supporting Governor Pritzker's vaccine mandate. Rob Carr, the president and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association, called the governor's mask mandate a measured approach that ensures shoppers continue to have access to needed goods, food, and medicine with minimal disruption. And Mark Denzler, the president and CEO of the Illinois Manufacturers Association, welcomed the mask and vaccine mandates, saying we cannot see the progress that has been made in restoring our nation's health and economy. So the business owners in Illinois- I'm confused, Sean. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm confused. Where's, where is the uh, profanity-laced tirade from these individuals? Right, from the I mean, Retail Merchants Association, who all those stores had to close. Like, that's where people are having to wear masks. And they're saying, yes, this is what we want. Ivermectin? Damn near killed him. The Missouri Poison Center says it has been receiving an uptick in calls about ivermectin consumption, leading to some dangerous side effects. The medication is often used to prevent and treat parasites in large animals, such as horses or cows. The issue now is that many people have been using it to fight COVID without first discussing it with a doctor. Local doctors and the FDA have said the medication is not antiviral and is not approved to help treat COVID-19. Missouri Poison Center Director Julie Weber says, quote, the more serious effects that we're seeing is that it can lead to seizures or even coma when larger amounts are ingested of the veterinarian product. These high doses can lead to organ damage, hallucination, diarrhea, nausea, and vomiting. Folks, the vaccine's free and now FDA approved, unlike horse meds. Don't take horse meds, please. Well, folks, that's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us. If you have a story you feel we should look into and possibly highlight on the show, tweet us at the Heartland Pod and visit us for links to all our shows and our merchandise shop at heartlandpod.com. Flyover View is a production of MidMap Media LLC. This week's episode featured reporting from the Kansas City Star, New York Times, KTVI St. Louis, Chicago Sun Times, Missouri Independent, and KYTV Springfield. Remember to subscribe so you get this show and all our Heartland Pod offerings with new episodes released Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Same time, same place. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's Flyover View. We'll see y'all next week.